graduate to trust trials come and you're convinced you're on your own but the teacher's often silent while you're in the hardest test but he'll answer when it's time with what is best you'll never pray a prayer your father will not answer he can't a better plan, another way, a greater yes. You never pray a prayer, your father will not answer. He can't ignore his child's earnest request. So while you're waiting and believing for what you thought was best, trust God if he says no. You're still blessed. There must be a greater yes. So while you're waiting and believing for what you thought was best, trust God if he says no. You're still blessed. There must be a greater yes. There must be a greater yes. Consider all the world's thy hand. 
Praise the Lord, how great thou art. That's a wonderful song. What a tremendous message that has. Amen. I hope you believe he's that wonderful and great. And uh, boy, if you don't, boy, get on board. He is. Amen. He is indeed. Second Peter chapter 2, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 this morning. And again, we're looking forward to tonight. And I pray you'll come on out and be a part of that. It's an amazing thing to, uh, really, for these young people to have the opportunity, the privilege to serve in a service like this, and then to be able to stand in this pulpit, a couple of, I think three of them tonight, having the opportunity to, 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 to preach. And uh, again, um, uh, guys, by the way, I want all your outlines. I want to see your outlines before you preach tonight, okay? Make sure I get a copy of your outline, all right? And that'll be good. I want to look at it, and I want to be able to follow it as you preach tonight. And uh, so that'll be good. Uh, listen, you've got to train young men how to preach. It, it, listen, you know, it, you don't just get up here and wing it. You know, that's not how it works, all right? You know, sometimes we get the idea, well, well let the Spirit of God lead. Yeah, well, when they're a pastor of their church, they can let the Spirit of God lead until then I'll lead. Because I'm the Spirit of God around here for them. You say, that's not true. Uh, yes, indeed I am. If I tell them they've got five minutes to preach, they've got five minutes to preach. They do not have the liberty to go above their pastor. You, you, you guys, you got to understand that. They, they, they're learning. They're growing. We get a preacher in here. You know those preachers during the missions conference? You want to know something? I didn't give them time to stop. If I would have, then they would have been obedient to the Lord if they're obedient to the authority of the church. Now, somebody don't like that. You say, well, I don't like that. You know what our culture is breeding today? A sense where nobody listens to anybody there's no authority whatsoever. We don't, even, we don't even let police tell us what to do anymore in our culture. Listen, there's a problem with that. Look at what it's creating in our culture and our society where there's no authority. And God designed the church with a purpose. I don't walk around here with a stick going, you've got to do what I tell you. I hope I don't have to do that. But the fact is, I, I, you know, God intended that there be one pastor in a church. And you know what? These young men tonight are going to have the privilege of getting up here and sharing their heart, what God's put on their heart. And you know what? They ought to consider that. And I know they do. I know they do. I appreciate these men. Which one of you are preaching tonight? Oh, two of you aren't here this morning. No, I'm teasing. But anyway. Okay, you three? Okay, right there. Yeah, get those to me. I'd love to see those. That'll be great. And we're going to have a good time tonight. And listen, I want you to come out and support those men of God. Uh, I want you to support them. I want you to be up there. I want you to amen them when they say something that makes sense. You know what I mean? Not that they won't say a bunch that makes sense, okay? They're going to, okay? But just amen them, encourage them, you know what I mean? Get them fired up, man. They want you to walk out of here and go, man, man, I preached at church the other day, man. Folks, people, God, were fired up, man. God was blessing. And I want them to, I want them to know God's presence, you know. And then uh, the singers, those that will play piano specials, boy, I tell you what, amen them when they're done with that. If they do a good job. If they don't do a good job, just go, I'm right. Okay? <laughs> They'll do fine. I'm telling you, we got a great group of young people. And I'll tell you what, I never worry about turning the service over to Brother Kavanaugh and the teenagers because, uh, boy, I tell you what, we have a great time tonight. And uh, honestly, I had a message ready to go. I forgot about that, really. And when he said that, I went, oh, man, I don't get to preach tonight. And some of you were going, praise God, the preacher's not preaching tonight. <laughs> Bless the Lord, we get to hear some teenagers finally, somebody can really preach. All right, so anyway, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I'm excited. I look forward to that all the time. I uh, mean, I'll tell you what, uh, some of those messages I've heard from the teenagers, man, I'll tell you, they light you up. They light you up. And uh, they're just an encouragement to me. Tremendous encouragement. But there were, here we go, 
There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destructions. Here in the book of Second Peter, uh, the church is being admonished, and the church is being instructed, and we have here in this particular passage a warning being given. He says, but there were false prophets also among the people. The writer goes back to the Old Testament and could look at the people of God there, Israel in the Old Testament, and he could look at them there and say, look, there were those that were amongst you that were false prophets. There were those amongst you that were peddling a false teaching. There were those among you who had a false prophecy. There were those among you that did not speak on my behalf, but spoke on their own behalf. Well, I'll tell you, he said they were there. Without a doubt, they were there. In the wilderness, they were there. They were there in the promised land. They were there in the nation of Israel as it continued to flourish even. There were always those prophets among you who would falsely teach and share the selfish doctrines of their own. But he goes on to say, listen, by the way, he says, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Do you know that's never ended? Do you realize that there are still false teachers among the body? There are still those that are propagating and promoting and uh, self-deprecating gospels and their own gospels, another gospel. There are still those that are teaching false doctrine. There are still those that are getting on their high horse and pretending and acting as though they have all the answers. But in reality, they are their answers, their gospel, their Bible. They're there. They're in the church today. They're still here with us. A manager, well, look at that word. Hold on, before we even go there. But notice this phrase here. It says, privily shall bring in. You see that in the passage? It says, there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in. Now, that, that's one Greek word. And, and that Greek word is a word called parasago. And that word ago on the end means to bring, the ice means into, and the word para means alongside. You put those together, what you get is that word means to bring in alongside. Privilege shall bring in. To bring in alongside. That's interesting, isn't it? What they basically are doing then, according to the passage, is they, they speak truth mixed with lies. That's even a greater deception, by the way. If I told you today that the sky is green, you, well, you might be tempted to believe it because in Ohio you never know what the color of the sky will be. But, but if it was perfectly sunny and blue skies and I said, by the way, can you, don't you love that? that? That's a red sky today. Isn't that lovely? You'd say, that's blue, dude. Are you colorblind? I'd say, well, partially, but I guarantee you that's red. You'd say, this guy... No, I'm telling you, it's red. It's red. You'd say, that is, that's false. That is not true for sure. There's no doubt about it. That, that is blue as blue can get, dude. You are out of your mind. But that's not what the false teacher does. 
The false teacher mixes truth around the lie. He or she makes it sound so real and so true and so believable. And they, they, they're, they're good in the church to bring up all kinds of passages and say, look, turn to this one and turn to this one and run back over here to this one and go back over to this one and we connect all the dots and bam! There's your truth. But they're pulling verses out of context. Not rightly dividing the word of truth. A manager was asked by his laziest employee for a recommendation for another job. I mean, the manager, I, I, he was in a quandary. He didn't know what to do about it. I mean, he didn't want to be nasty. He didn't want to be mean, but he didn't want to be a liar either. And so he thought all night long, very hard about this. He, he thought, what can I write that will be honest without hurting this young man's chances? He finally wrote, you will be lucky if you can get him to work for you. You'll be lucky if you can get him to work for you. Wow. And that is a recommendation, boy. That's a good one, isn't it? In his statement, there's both truth and there is lie. You see it? There's the truth and there's the lie. This one's being very deceptive. Why? Because there's a lot of, 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 of truth around the lie. I mean, it, it was absolutely true that if he can get that young man to work, he'll be lucky. The boy's twisting it, isn't he? It could be taken the other way too. Boy, won't you be fortunate? Won't you be lucky if you can ever get him hired on? Oh boy. Note these words bought them as well. Here in the, our passage, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You know, you start thinking about that phrase, bought them, you can't help but think about the fact that we were purchased or bought out of our sin, huh? You know, I, when, I, when I think about that, and we're going to talk a little bit about the blood of Christ today, but I want you to understand when that word bought them, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't buy something without some kind of currency, so to speak. And the fact is, is that the blood of Christ purchased us. It bought us. You know, there are people in our culture, our society, there are people in, our, in the church today that are demeaning the blood of Christ, that are removing the significance or the importance of it. They'll say things like, simply like, well, you know, um, he could have drowned in the depths of the sea for all that matter, just as long as he died. That's all, just as long as he died. It's the death of Christ that's all that matters. I mean, there are expositors that make those kind of statements today. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I mean, one would assume that the Bible would surely set the seeker straight. That the Bible would be very careful to make sure that the truth of the blood of Christ was right there in front of you, face to face, in black and white, simple to see. But you know, the devil's subtle, isn't he? He's shrewd and he's quite deceptive. He doesn't want you to understand the power of the blood and the importance of the blood of Christ. He doesn't want you to understand that. He doesn't want you to, to grab hold of that truth. So, he vehemently despises the blood. So much so, he hates the blood of Christ. 
that he seeks to remove it even from the Bible. You say, what? Absolutely. If you would take Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, and again, this is not the intent of the message, but I do think that this, this brief warning is important to you. If you would take the Bible, Colossians 1, 14, and you would read it in your King James Bible as we have it in front of us today, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You go ahead and read it out of an NIV, or you read it out of an NASV. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a pretty important phrase that's been ripped out, tore out, taken apart, or taken out of the Bible there. I don't know about you, and you can go ahead and we can debate all day about what Bible should I use, what version should I use, this and that. But I'm going to tell you what, I don't know about you, but I don't want to use any Bible that pulls out the blood. That removes it. Well, it's not in the originals. Were you there? Are you kidding me? That's like, that's like scientists saying that, that there was a big bang. And we can scientifically prove it. Well, one of the things about the scientific method is you have to observe. I, I don't know if one scientist had ever observed the big bang. But yet it's fact, boy. Doesn't even, it doesn't even fit their own, their own description of what scientific is. And we have in this case, we've got Bibles that are all about us, even in amongst the church and the people of God, that are taking the blood of Christ out. Let me tell you, that isn't God's work, that's Satan's work. And I'm going to tell you, the blood of Christ is valuable, it's important, and it is of necessity. If you ever hope to have your sin washed away and cleansed, if you ever hope to be in one union and fellowship with the God, of the Creator of all the universe, if you ever hope to spend one moment in His abode and with Him, you better indeed have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. And so over these next few moments, I just want to share why the blood of Christ is so important in the life of every human being. Just over these next few minutes, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. And Lord, it seems to me that we're diminishing the need for the blood of Christ. We even preach salvation messages without mentioning it. Lord, it's so easy to fall prey to this kind of doctrine or belief where, Father, we just, just trust Christ. Just ask Jesus to save you. It'll be fine. Well, no, they have to understand that you, Lord Jesus are the way, the truth, and the life. And it was your sacrifice, not just your death, but your shed blood, your precious, perfect blood that's so necessary and needful in our lives. Help us, Lord, we pray. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The blood of Christ purchases us. It purchases. In 1 Peter, turn if you would, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Notice what the Bible says here. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed. Again, the Bible says we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And here in 1 Peter, he's mentioning it again. He's speaking to it actually before he even gets to the second book. But he simply says, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
Well, you know what? We put so much stock in our pedigree. We put so much stock in our upbringing. We put so much stock in our abilities and the things we do on behalf of God. But may I say, friend, it has nothing to do with those things that are corruptible. It has nothing to do with silver and gold. It doesn't matter how much you give to the church. It's never going to redeem you. It's never going to buy you back out of sin. There's nothing you can do to purchase yourself out of the clutches of Satan. It's going to be that precious blood. As he puts it here, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Hebrews 9, 12, he says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Man, I'll tell you what, you can believe that blood's in the ground today all you want, but I believe it was presented to the mercy seat of the God of heaven. And let me tell you something, Jesus Christ took that blood and he entered into that mercy seat where God was. And he said, hey, here it is, just like an Old Testament. It was the mercy seat. And they'd bring that once a year before God and they would offer it and it would cover their sin for a period of time. This precious blood, this perfect blood, Jesus' blood went to the God in heaven at the eternal throne and He laid it down at the feet of Jesus and it washes our sin away. In whom we have redemption through His blood, Ephesians 1, 7 says, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Isn't that interesting? You know, in the army, I'd receive a paycheck once a month, as most did in those days. And again, you know, they, they went to direct deposit later on down the road and some things like that. But I, we'd get our check once a month. And uh, I still remember I had a friend in, in, in there as well. And and. and you know, it was not easy, by the way, to stretch a check for a whole month. Now, fortunately for us in the military, you know, we had our housing paid for. We had our food paid for, in a sense. You just went to the mess hall and ate. You just had a barracks that you stayed in. And in this case, many times, as you got onto active duty, you didn't even have to stay with a bunch of guys. You'd have a room with maybe two or three guys. And in my case, when I was over in Oklahoma City, I had my own room. I mean, because they saw me walk in. They knew right then I was special. They gave me my own room. You don't believe that, do you? But nonetheless, it just happened to work out that way for me. And I was like, praise God, I got my own room, man. This is awesome. And boy, it was. And I'll tell you, though, you'd go to the mess hall. You stayed in the barracks, if you will. You didn't have those expenses. And still, even then, many of the guys had a hard time making their paycheck stretch from the beginning to the end of the month. Had a hard time. There was this one guy there, and every month, it seemed like it was every month, about two weeks in, he'd say, he'd say, hey, uh... You know, can you run me down to the pawn shop? I'm like, well, yeah, what's up, man? He's like, well, I just, I'm out of money, man. I'm already out of money. And he'd have his guitar in his hand. He'd say, I just want to pawn my guitar, man. Get some money. I said, all right, come on. And in those days, I had a car. I just bought a car from when I'd left Germany, and I was going down to Oklahoma, so I bought a car and drove down there with it. And so I had a vehicle, and I'd say, come on. He'd load up his, his, his guitar, and he'd put himself in the passenger seat, and down the road we went. We went to the pawn shop, and he'd take it on in. He'd set it up on the counter. The guy came out, and he said, what can I do for you? He says, I want to pawn my guitar, man. He knew who he was. He'd been there a number of times. Every month this went on. Stick it up on the counter, opened up the lid, take a look at the guitar. He's like, that day he said, the same guitar? Yeah. And then he evaluates the cost of the guitar, obviously, and he decides this is what I'll give you for the guitar. Assuming the guy never comes back, he'll never lose money on it because he ain't going to pay him nothing for it. 
He hands him a few dollars and he hands, hands him some money and the guy takes, his, takes the money, puts it in his pocket, gets a receipt, puts it in his pocket as well, leaves his guitar on the counter and we walk out. It'd be at the end of the month now. He'd say to me, okay man, listen, I got my money now. He'd say, I got some money, I want to go buy my guitar. Go get it back from the pawn shop. So I'd take him down to the pawn shop. He'd walk in, he'd have this little ticket, he'd hand it over to the guy at the counter. He goes, yeah, we got your guitar here. He'd go over and get the guitar, he'd bring it over, lay it on the counter, open it up and say, see, it looks still working condition, no problem. He'd go, yeah, I know, I know. He'd hand him the money, he'd take his guitar. But you know what the funny thing about it was? He'd pay almost 50% more to get the guitar back than he got when he handed it to the guy. Say he got 40 bucks for the guitar, he'd have to pay 80 to get it back. He had to pay so much more to get that guitar back than what it was worth even in that sense. He turned it in, he only got 40 for it. But when he had to buy it back, he had to pay 80 for it. Let me tell you something, that was a rip-off. Every single month this happened. Every single month. You know, that's how it was with you and I. I mean, when Adam ate the fruit of that forbidden tree, mankind was sold into sin. We yielded the authority of God. We gave it up and we said, we want something else. We want more. We don't want God telling us what to do. And as a result, we we're sold into sin and we became the property of Satan. And may I say today, if you are lost without Jesus Christ, you've never invited Him into your life as Lord and Savior, you are the property of Satan today. You say, but God, He created me. He did. And may I say, He loves you with a boundless and endless love. But that's not enough to get you to heaven, friend. You are no longer the property of the God of heaven that created you. You're the property of Satan himself. And you've been sold into sin and sold into slavery because of your sin. And Jesus Christ in His mercy and His grace and His love came to earth and He walked those dusty trails of Galilee and He ultimately led led Him right to the cross. There He laid down His life willingly for you and I. And He shed His precious blood in payment for our sin and in payment for our person. He paid much more than I'm worth. But He bought me anyway. For the blood of Jesus Christ redeemed us. It bought us back. It paid the price for our sin where once we were bound by Satan, now we are free again. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans seven fourteen, but I am carnal, sold under sin. The word redeemed again has to do with being purchased. It has to do with being purchased like you're purchasing a slave's freedom. By the way, we were all slaves. The slave of Satan. The slave of sin. We've been bought with a price. Jesus Christ's precious blood, my friend. There's no way that any of us can ever be redeemed, ever be purchased without that blood. That blood is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. Not only that, but that blood not only purchases but it purifies look if you would in first john chapter 1 verse 7 first john 1 7 First John chapter 1 verse 7 says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, 
cleanses us from all sin. My dad worked a lot of hours when I was growing up. He, he worked at Goodyear and, and he worked a lot of overtime. I remember there was a stretch where my dad worked seven straight years, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Seven straight years. Every once in a while they'd throw in for a 30-day period, a month at a time, 16 hours, seven days a week. And he'd work it. And in his mind, and his idea was at the time, you know, I have to provide for my family. It's important that I get that done. And my mother, being the kind of wife and mom that she was, would always support my dad and say, listen, dad is, where's daddy at? Daddy's at work. Daddy's providing. Daddy's the one putting this roof over your head. Daddy's the one putting clothes on your back. Daddy's the one that puts food in your mouth. You thank God for your daddy. He's a hard worker. You need to grow up to be like dad and be a hard worker. Can I say it worked? And I've, I've endeavored at all my heart to try to teach my kids to be hard workers too. I never want them to be afraid of work. It's amazing today. Some of these young people will say something like, I had to work 30 hours last week. <laughs> 30 hours. Oh, wow. And you're like, 30 hours? Are you kidding me? 30 hours? I mean, you know, we humor them a little bit, you know, because we don't want to break their spirit. But 30 hours? I mean, it, you know, once you hit 60 or so, then come talk to me. Until then, man, quit whining. I'm sorry. I mean, you say, well, that's kind of... Oh, come on. They got young men, young ladies in here that go to school full-time, work full-time, do all of that. That's a lot of work, too. You're going to put more than 40 hours in. If you're working over 40 hours and you're going to school full-time, you're going to put a lot of hours in. My dad worked a lot of hours. <laughs> and, you know, he wasn't that awfully interested in how clean the garage was. My dad really didn't care a whole lot about how clean the garage was. Now, every once in a while he would, and when he did his cleaning, he'd go in and just wipe everything out. You know, it's like, that's loose, throw it away. That's loose, throw it away. Is that nailed down? Nope, throw it away. My mom's like freaking out, like, oh, man, everything's going, you know. You know, it's one of those deals, you know, about once every five or six years. No, I don't know. But anyway, I mean, it was filthy. That thing was filthy. And I remember I was just five years of age. You say, how do you remember? But anyway, I'll tell you in a minute how I remember. But I was five years of age, and I still remember. I do remember in my mind going into that garage, and it was dirty and filthy. And my brother and I were playing in the garage, you know. And we weren't really supposed to play in the garage too awfully much, but it wasn't wrong to go in the garage. But it was filthy dirty. The floors were nasty and everything, cobwebs on the back of the workbenches and things like that, because he just didn't do a whole lot there. He worked a lot of hours. Never home hardly to do those kind of things. And if he was home, he wanted to spend time with us. And so here I am on the floor, crawling around like a little snake, weaseling around through there, right through the back, going around here underneath and up and over. I came out of that, 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 that garage, and I mean to tell you, I was just covered in dirt from head to toe. I had a pair of shorts on, and in those days, I wasn't ashamed to show my legs off. And I, I mean, I was showing them off, and I, I mean, I, I was showing some bare chest at that time when I was five, and I was running around, you know. And I mean to tell you, it was amazing. You know, if you'd have seen me then, you'd want to take a picture. It was worth a picture. But anyway, I still, I still remember going out of there, and I mean, I was covered from head to toe with dirt, and my mother, she was looking out the window. Out the kitchen window, and she went, she's like, what is, what, oh, I mean, my mom, I, I wrote it down because I wanted to remember exactly what she said. She said, what have you been doing? You're filthy from head to toe, Mark. What have you been doing? 
I mean, I was so dirty, dirty that my mom, she got her Polaroid camera out. I was that dirty, that filthy. She made me stand there. And she took a picture of me with that Polaroid camera. I want you to know that that picture is in the Smithsonian Institute as we speak. Well, maybe not. But anyway, she took that picture. And I still remember, that picture is still in my mom's possession. I was five years old, filthy, dirty. But you know, it's an amazing thing. I went into the house. I got undressed. I jumped into the bathtub or into the shower, whichever it was at that day. I think it was a bathtub. That was a nasty bath, by the way, as soon as I hit the water. But nonetheless, I got out of that water. I put on some other clothes. And let me tell you, you would have never known for one moment that I was filthy from head to toe. I was as clean as a whistle. You want to know something? That's exactly what the blood of Christ does to you and I that are sinners today. I mean, we are filthy from head to toe with sin and reproach. And yet God in His mercy and grace allowed His precious Son to die in our stead and shed His precious blood. And it was presented to God. And it's a wonderful thing because it washes us and it purifies us. It cleanses us from all sin. It's a wonderful thing how the blood of Christ purifies. But you know what? That blood of Christ also pacifies It pacifies and it pardons us. It's a wonderful thing. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. There we read in verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of His cross... By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Notice, having made peace through the blood of His cross. That's that's an interesting statement. James 4, 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. Sin must be paid for. And God has predetermined what the payment will be. He's already predetermined that. I've told the story before, but years ago, while I was in Germany, in the military, I I had uh, wanted to buy a guitar. And I've told the story a number of times, so you may remember it. But uh, there I was in Germany. There I was as an American. I wanted a guitar. And and, and so I went to uh, the store there in Germany. I went to a number of stores. And I went to this one music store that a friend had recommended. And I went in there and I found a guitar that I really liked. I thought it would be perfect for the price, perfect for the quality. And I remember going to the gentleman and saying, listen, uh, I, I, I do have, I have, uh, uh, I'd like to buy this guitar. And he said it'd be so many marks. And that was the currency used by the, by the, the, the Germans, marks. And uh, I had dollar bills, of course. And I said, well, I don't have marks. Now, you got to understand, over there in Germany, when, when you, uh, most of the vendors and most people will accept uh, dollar bills, okay? Most of them will allow that. They'll have their own kind of exchange. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's not as good as the exchange would be, and the government exchange would be. But it's still, it, it was reasonable at that time. And the, the, the dollar bill was extremely powerful in that day, too. So there was, a, you know, a $1 bill would get like almost 
3.1 marks. And it almost went up to 4 almost while I was there. And then before I left, it dropped to 2.1. And so all I know is it fluctuated quite a bit. Well, anyway, I had dollar bills on me. And I said, listen, I said, listen, I've, I've got all this money on me. You can tell I got a lot of money. I got $3 bills here. But uh, I've got all this. I got this money and I want to buy that guitar. And I remember taking it up to the counter and I said right there, I, I, I said I've done the trans, you know, the, I decided to do the math and this is how many dollars it would be. I, I want to buy that guitar. He said, he said, uh, nine. That means no. And uh, I, I was like, but, 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 but I want to buy the guitar. He said, Marks, Marks, Marks. Not dollar bills, marks, marks. And I said, yeah, I know, but I've got all this money. It's good. You, you, I'm telling you, it's, you can exchange it anywhere. It's good. It's American dollars. He said, no. And basically what he said, we only accept Deutschmarks. We only accept German currency. I don't accept American money. And I was frustrated. I was angry even. I was like, but wait a second, man. Don't you know I'm an American? Don't you know we freed your nation? I mean, come on, man, just take the money. I want the guitar, you want the money, we're good, right? No, 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 no. Must be Deutschmarks. Has to be German currency. I left that place. I was ticked. I can go down the street. I can buy a, a, a bratwurst with American money. I can go in the store. I can buy me a steak with American money. I go to a restaurant. I can buy schnitzel with American money. But I can't buy a guitar with American money. Nope. Can I tell you today, there is no way in the world that your sin can be washed away and that you can be purchased by, the, by, by any other means. There is no other currency that the God of heaven will accept except the blood of Christ to pay for your sin. I don't care how much you work. I don't care how much you strive. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you've got a substitute here and a substitute there. It doesn't matter. God, the God of heaven says, I'll only accept the blood of Christ, the blood of my son, Jesus. That's all I accept. Otherwise, you're going to perish. That's all he'll accept. It's the only acceptable payment. The blood of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and throw the blood. Take it out of the Bible. Remove it from the Scriptures. Get cute about it and try to somehow prove that it doesn't belong in the Bible, the Word of God. But my friend, without that blood, there is no acceptable currency. And that currency is the blood of Jesus. It is the currency. And God alone will accept it. And that's all He'll accept. We could look at Cain and Abel. I mean, the Bible says in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Why won't you accept my offering, God? Why won't you take what I've given you? I'm willing to sacrifice to give it to you. I'm willing to sweat to give it to you. I'm willing to do whatever it took to give this to you. You don't know how many hours I've worked, God, to lay this at your feet. Cain would say. But God said, no, I'll only accept the blood. And that's exactly what Abel brought in. Blood. 
Oh, I know at that point, Jesus Christ, it wasn't his blood. But as we said in the Old Testament, as they would go into the the tabernacle and they'd go into the holy place and then to the holiest of holies. And with that blood, the the priest would offer once a year, the, the high priest would take that blood into that holy of holies. And there he would offer that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And it would cover sin for a period of time, one year until the following year. So Jesus had already set in place a precedence. Only the blood will suffice. Only the blood will do. Only the blood will forgive. Only the blood will redeem. Only the blood will purchase. Only the blood will do. May I say today, if you're trying to get into heaven any other way than the blood of Jesus Christ, friend, you are missing the boat. You're going to miss it. See, We don't have time to discuss or talk about the propitiation. But when we see that word in the Bible, what we're talking about simply is this, that which satisfies the holy demand of God. And God is not impressed with our money. He's not impressed with our possessions. He's not impressed with our abilities. He doesn't need anything that we have. But He is impressed with the blood. And that is the only acceptable sacrifice that he'll accept. It's the only payment that will pacify a just and righteous holy God. I wonder today, what's your attitude toward the blood of Christ? Have you allowed the blood of Christ to be applied to your life? Remember, there in Egypt, remember how that was there as they said the destroyer will come. The final plague, if you will. Make sure you put that blood on the doorposts and the lentils. Put it up there. Doorposts and lentils. Put that blood up there. And if I see the blood, I will pass over you. We sing a little chorus like that, don't we? When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Do you realize that unless the blood's been applied to your life, God's judgment won't be able to pass over you? You'll stand before God in your sin and accept the judgment that comes because of it. May God help us to apply the blood of Christ. You do that by recognizing Him, Jesus, as the only way, truth, and life. Recognizing that our sin condemns us. Our sin places us in a horrible position with a holy God. The only way that sin can be washed away, the only way we can be bought back from the clutches of Satan who now owns the deed to our life and our soul is through that blood right there. Today, not tomorrow, today, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you, save you, come into your life. You need to turn from your your sin. You need to turn over your life to Jesus Christ today. You just need to say, Lord, I'm making a mess of it all. You're perfect and you're holy and I'm just a sinner. I know I have to disgust you. And I need your cleansing today. Oh, wash me. Oh, make me new. Oh, God, come into my heart. Be my Savior.
Well, I'll tell you what, he will apply the blood and he will just pass over you one day in judgment. Apply the blood of Christ. I'm telling you, the blood of Christ today, that blood purchases. That blood purifies. That blood pacifies the holy, righteous demands of God and pardons you. May God help us today to put Christ and His blood where it belongs. Applied to the hearts of sinful men. We need it applied. And then He will forgive us, save us, and He will do His work in our life. Father, we come to You.